Our reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 14. Uh, we'll read from verse 66 to verse 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants, seven girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the cock crawled. And the seven girls saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Suddenly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. We are currently exploring the book of Mark, uh, one of the four eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the 118th sermon in Mark, so I think it's a good idea for me just to remind us where we are in Mark. Uh, Let us remember that Mark is divided in three parts. Uh, Mark 1 to 8 is the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. Mark chapter 8 to verse 10 covers the journey to Jerusalem. And Mark 11 verse to chap- Mark chapter 11 to chapter 16 is Jesus in Jerusalem, uh, where we witness uh, his suffering, his death and resurrection. We are, of course, in the final part of Mark, which we just read. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He has finished his ministry. And he has now been arrested by the religious council, the Sanhedrin. And last Sunday, we saw Jesus bound hand and foot and taken to the house of the high priest Cephas, who's chairing this Sanhedrin council. And he's there to face a trial. Uh, And this is the night. We are on the night just before he's put to death. This is Passover night. Uh, That's where we left Uh, the proceedings last Sunday. So the Sanhedrin have sentenced Jesus to death and we read this in Mark chapter 14 verse 62 verse 65. The verses just before um, the ones we are looking at this morning. In verse 65 we read this. It says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. That is Jesus. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And the O, that is the rest of the Sanhedrin, condemned him as as deserving death. And some 
began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards, that's the, that's the temple guards, received him with blows. That is where we left um, the, 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 the Gospel of Mark last week. Um, Mark now turns our attention to one of the disciples, uh, the Apostle Peter, who legged it with the eleven in Gethsemane, uh, who has now returned uh, to see what's going on, to our surprise. And this account is recorded in verse 66 to verse 72. And in this passage, we see Peter's denial, the famous denial of Jesus. And the question we are asking this morning is quite is simply this. Why has Mark included this, this event in, the, in his account? Now, of course, it happened. It's historical. It's true. But why has Mark spent time to include this? We know Mark tends to be very careful uh, with the detail he covers events and even the events that he chooses to include. So why has he included this account? And why has he written it, as we shall see in a moment, the way he has written it? Oh, if you like, the question we're asking really is, what does this event teach us, in fact, about who Jesus is, and how Jesus suffered, and why he suffered? I think as I've thought about this passage, as I've studied verse 66 to verse 72, I have come to a conclusion that I think what this event is teaching us is simply one simple truth. And the truth is teaching us is this, it's teaching us that the commitment of Jesus saves us from our denial of God. That's what these verses are teaching us. The commitment of Jesus saves us from our denial of God. Mark wants us to truly understand that Jesus, from these verses, that Jesus is our God who was put on human skin to, to live committed to God as one of us and for us. If you like these verses, uh, which... which Jesus himself doesn't immediately appear uh, in verse 66 to verse 72. He's actually there to remind us to rest on the commitment of Jesus to God, uh, to God for us and not on ourselves. Uh, these verses are screaming to us. They're saying to us through Peter's experience, trust in Jesus who never denies us. Now, I know that may be quite difficult for us to see that truth immediately and you're probably scratching your heads and you're thinking, okay, where, where, where is that in this passage? Well, look with me there at verse 66 to verse 72. Now, it feels like ages ago, doesn't it, since our Lord Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with uh, the disciples. But in fact, it has only been a few hours and within this short period of time, Jesus has been arrested in Gethsemane. He has been tried and he has been sentenced to death. And within these few hours now, all that awaits now for Jesus is a trip to Pilate where Pilate will sanction the death and Jesus will be sent off to be crucified. That will take place in the early hours of Friday morning. At this point, all his followers have now deserted him. But then we, as we turn to verse 66, we read that one of them, Peter, uh, cannot keep himself away. He has made his way inside Cephas' compound. 
In fact, we read about that in verse 53 to verse 54. So if you just glance over at the top, we read there in verse 53, And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, before, before we go any further, we, we, it passes us, doesn't it? We do not know why Peter has decided to come back. Uh, is he confused? Uh, is he feeling guilty about abandoning his best friend? Well, we don't know. But what we know is that a few hours ago, Peter told Jesus that no matter what happens, he is ready to walk through the fire of affliction for Jesus. But now we read in those verses, in verse 53 to verse 54, that, in verse 54, that Peter is sitting around the fire with the enemy. While his friend Jesus is being spat on, mocked on, and beaten around like a punching bag. And sadly for our Lord Jesus, Peter's uh, social distancing from Jesus is about to get even longer. As Peter warms his hands, a girl notices a stranger sitting among them. Let's jump over to verse 66 to verse 67, the verses we are looking at today. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the seven girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him. Let's just pause there. I am picturing these seven girls, this maid, staring at the face of Peter. And uh, she's staring in a flickering flame. And as she stares at him around this fire, she thinks to herself, Hmm, now where have I seen this face before? And then as she's thinking, it dawns on her, as Mark goes on to describe it in verse 7. Verse 7 says, And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are with the Nazarene Jesus. Peter, at this point, it seems must have forgotten that he has been hanging out with the biggest celebrity in Israel. Jesus is super big in Israel. Everyone knows him. Everyone knows his gang, the people Jesus hangs out with. There has never been a bigger name than Jesus. Crowds have been flocking to him for the last three years. In fact, if it was in our day, the photos of Jesus with the apostles would be on every Twitter feed, every Instagram feed. Jesus is that big. And therefore, it's not a surprise that the seventh girl, immediately when she sees Peter sitting around the fire, she recognizes him. And as we listen to her, we are thinking to ourselves, Peter the Rock is ready to redeem himself just now. He ran away, but he's back. And he knows that he's going to be recognized. He must be here on a good mission. We are cheering him on. We are saying, go on, Big Pete. Now is your chance to share the gospel of Jesus with this servant girl. Tell, tell this girl all that Jesus has done for you. And his love for sinner. Be like the man who had, who had the legion. Who went away and told everyone what Jesus had done for him. We are cheering Peter on. But... To our shock, we read this in verse 60, 
8. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I neither know nor understand what you mean. We just pause there. Because the original language implies that Peter is refusing any theoretical and practical knowledge of Jesus. We are completely stunned by this. Nothing has prepared us for this so far, except the prophecy of Jesus, which we'll come to in a moment. But from the behavior of Peter, the ways been behind Jesus, this is a complete out of the blue. A total denial of Jesus. And it seems he's done it out of fear, because Peter, immediately when he answers that, he gets up, sits near, decides to move to sit near the exit of Cephas' compound. Just in case he needs to make a run for it. Let's read on verse 68. It tells us, doesn't it? But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the cock crowed. So he's moving to get away, to just be near the gate. And I guess he must be feeling quite comfortable with himself. But just when Peter thinks the storm is over, uh, the, the servant girl bumps into him again. She's one of those people you just can't shake off, right? And she's there. And now when she sees Peter, she's dead sure now that her memory is not letting her down. She's after Yeshua. This Peter was with Jesus. Let's read on verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man... Is one of them. Now, sometimes, consciously or unconsciously, uh, we tend to take on the character and dressing and gestures of people uh, we tend to hang around with. Whether at work, whether at home, whether at school, or whether at church, right? We, we tend to pick up some habits from people around us. When I was in government, I could always spot a person who worked at the HM Treasury, Her Majesty's Treasury. Just by the way they spoke and the way they dressed in a certain confident way, I could say, ah, if I'm in a meeting, they don't even need to speak. I could immediately say, mm, yeah, we've got a treasury official here. And I'm guessing the seven girl is the same. There is something about Peter that is, the, minute, the fact that she has seen him, there's something about Peter has made I think he belonged, he, this Peter must belong to Grace Baptist Church, Galilee, led by Pastor Jesus. She's looking at him, and immediately she sees something that she recognizes. And now she's making it known to the others that Peter is not one of them. Before she just kept it to herself, but now she's like shouting out, here's the man, this man is not one of us. And I'm imagining as Peter is hearing this now for the second time, Peter's heart is racing as he decides now to dig his hole even deeper. Let's read on verse 17. But again, he denied it. You know, the tense of the verb in the original language used by Mark here means that Peter has kept on denying that he's a follower of the Lord Jesus. In other words, when Matt says, and again he denied it, it, it really means that it's not just a, lips, a slip of the tongue that Peter um, is doing here. 
Peter has abandoned any commitment to Jesus. And just in case we have any doubt, our fears are now confirmed as we read on verse 70. We're told in verse 70, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, they are also sure, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Perhaps he picked up his accent now. And at this moment now, it is all too much for Peter to take. Because we read in verse 71, But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter has put himself under a divine divine curse because he does not want to be identified with Jesus. He is in effect saying, look, if, if I am lying, may God strike me dead. That's basically what Peter is saying. And to make it worse, he refuses to even afford Jesus the dignity of his name. Look how he speaks of Jesus. I do not know this man, this unknown man. I do not know this man of whom you speak of. He's denying any complete knowledge of Jesus. It's a total denial. Peter has completely distanced himself from Jesus. He's not committed to Jesus anymore. And at that moment, when he denies Jesus for the third time, we are told suddenly the famous cock crows. We read this in verse 72. And immediately the cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. We have to immediately ask the question, why is Peter crying here? He's crying because he has remembered Mark 14, verse 30. Let's just read from verse 26 to verse 31 to get a sense of what happened. Uh, We read in verse 26 to 31, he says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, that is Peter, said emphatically, If I must die with you, I would not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Peter has remembered Jesus' prophecy. The words of Jesus have come to pass while Peter is in Cephas' compound. And it has happened exactly as Jesus prophesied. And as soon as Peter remembers that, as soon as the cock crows for the second time, Peter breaks down in tears. And we are told, and he broke down and wept. Other accounts say he went away weeping bitterly. Why is he weeping? Well, he's weeping, you see, because seeing the prophecy fulfilled has restored his perspective. It has restored his faith in who Jesus is. 
He remembers that he has denied the one who has foreknowledge. He remembers he denies the one who knows the future accurately. He has realized that he has denied the one he truly confessed as a Christ, the Son of the living God. He remembers that he has denied the God, the Son, who calmed the storm. He has denied God who enabled him to walk on water. He has denied God who has stuck with him in all his failures. See, Mark wants us to see that Peter is a human being who has received love and commitment from God the Son and yet still denies God to his face. And when Peter realizes that, he breaks down. See, Peter is not so much broken that he has let down a friend. I'm sure there's a part of him that is about that. Especially, as we are told, I think in Luke's account, that at this point, he sees Jesus' face in the courtyard. So there's a part of him that has broken him because of the friendship aspect. But the aspect of his grief that Mark wants us to focus on, it is the grief of a man who has denied his God. It is realizing that, realizing prophecy fulfilled, and coming to that new view again, fresh view, that confirmation of what he had already known, that this man Jesus is God in human form, as he feels that the weight of his sin against Jesus, against God, breaks him apart. And that is why this account matters to us today. Because, brothers and sisters, what Peter has done to Jesus, our God, is not different from what you and I do to God every day. Because let's think about what Peter has done. Peter has denied God. And Mark is reminding us here, really, is, is teaching us that this is the very essence of sin, isn't it? The very essence of every sin we commit is denial of who God is. When I have an evil thought or a lie, I am denying the rule of God over me. All sin is atheism. When I sin against God, I am saying like Peter, I neither know God or understand what God asks of me. When I sin, I am saying like Peter, I do not know this God whom the Bible speaks of. All sin is atheism. It is a denial of the control and authority and presence of God over our lives. Every sin we commit tells God to get out and get lost. And since all of us are sinners, are born in sin since the day, since the fall of Adam, all of us are Peter. All of us share in the rejection, in the denial of Jesus. And like Peter, no matter how much we try in this life, we will always be deniers of God. It is a sin in us. But thankfully, Mark does not just leave us there. That is not all that Mark wants to teach us from this passage. He doesn't just want us to get away from this person and say, yeah, we are Peter. No, he shows us that in the middle of this passage, 
in the middle of this event, when all of these things is taking place to Peter, there is a man like us, but very different from us, because he always remains committed to God, and this man is the Lord Jesus Christ. The story is a sandwich that starts off with a story of Peter in the courtyard in verse 54. And then we break off to Jesus' trial in verse 55 to verse 66. And then right in the middle of, of, uh, of that, uh, we see Cephas, uh, as Jesus is being tried, firing questions at Jesus. And we see Jesus remaining committed to God uh, as he's facing Cephas. All of these events, uh, Peter's denial and what's happening to Jesus, they're all happening simultaneously. In verse 61, we, we, we read this, don't we? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So right in the middle of Peter denying Jesus, Jesus is making his own confession before Cephas, before the high priest. And he's boldly declaring that he is God the Son. He is the one who has come in human form, the Son of Man. He is God in human form. He has come to be our Messiah. He has come to establish his kingdom. He has come to bring sinners, repentant sinners into his kingdom. And one day he's coming back to judge those who refuse to submit to his rule. And after the Sanhedrin sentences Jesus to death and then torture him, Mark switches us back to Peter's denial, which we have looked at in verse 66 to verse 72. And the question we have to ask is, why this sandwich? Well, the answer is quite obvious, isn't it? We have this sandwich here because Mark wants us to, to see the denial of Peter as part of the suffering of Jesus on the road to Golgotha. Jesus is suffering Peter's denial. And more than that, what Mark is doing really is that the, 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 the denial of Peter... Um, the introduction of Peter in verse 54 and his denial of Jesus from verse 66 to 72. They are like two arrows that are pointing us, so to speak, to Jesus. They are meant to act as a contrast to who Jesus is. We are meant to look at Jesus' commitment to God and contrast it with Peter's shameful denial of God. If you like, the commitment of Jesus is exposing Peter's sin. And then Mark is using the denial of Peter really to remind us that the commitment of Jesus is the answer to Peter's denial. Peter has denied Jesus. What's the way back for him? How can he ever have life with God? How can anyone who denies God, any sinner, have his sins forgiven, restored back to God? The answer is Jesus. Jesus, the one who makes this faithful commitment to God, this confession of his mission for God and for us, is the answer. Jesus is committed to God, not for himself, 
He is doing it for us. Jesus is God the Son living as a perfect human being who is committed to God. And he's doing this in order to save us from our denial of God. The, the commitment of Jesus to God here leads eventually to his death on the cross where he suffers the punishment from God we deserve for our denial of God. Right there on the cross, Jesus died so that we who truly trust in his death can now be looked upon by God as if we have never denied God. We now, in Jesus, are able to enjoy life with God. This is the sensation of good news of this passage. That the good news of this passage is that the commitment of our Lord Jesus Christ truly saves us from our shameful denial of God. And how should we then respond to this extraordinary truth? We have to start off with our thanks to Jesus for his unwavering commitment to God for us. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is committed to you, so committed to you that he shed his blood for your sins. He did not give half of himself in death, but all of himself. The commitment of Jesus to you is written with his own blood. He gave himself up for you, a wretched denier of God. And he did that because he loves you and is committed to you. And he did not give himself up for you, beloved, ignorantly. No, he went to that cross knowing full well that God will pour his wrath and judgment on him. And yet Jesus took on, absorbed the full wrath of God. He committed himself to God's mission and to you so much that he was able to endure for those three hours the wrath and judgment that you and I deserve. He did it because he loves you and is committed to God for you. And now that he has purchased you at such great cost, Will he ever deny you? Of course not. He will never deny you. No matter how much you deny him, if you have truly repented and you are a true follower of Jesus, no matter how terribly you fall down, his commitment, beloved, is big enough for your life with him. Jesus never denies his followers. Oh, beloved, let us worship Jesus our God for this. There is truly no one like Jesus. There is no one so committed to us. No one who will ever be committed to us like Jesus. This passage should move us to lift up our hearts to him in worship. To worship Jesus for his commitment to us. So the first thing we must do is we must thank him for his commitment to us. The second thing we must do is to show our thanks to Jesus by repenting of any area in our lives where we are denying Jesus. 
We have said that already that all sin is denial of God and should be repented of. And we especially need to repent of any area where we are directly denying Jesus. Now, of course, many of us don't... I assume none of us uh, verbally deny Jesus the way Peter has done. I mean, we raise huge questions about our salvation if we did, right? I'm not saying a, a Christian can't do it. I'm simply saying that as we grow, highly improbable that we would ever voice out our denial of Jesus as Peter does here. But we still deny Jesus in so many ways. We still deny him passively, I would say. You might ask, how am I denying Jesus? Well, you are denying Jesus if you are seeing his people suffering and you are not willing to suffer with them. When you see one of us in the fellowship struggling spiritually, emotionally, materially, and you don't extend care to one of the brothers or sisters in the fellowship. You choose not to enter into their suffering. You choose not to suffer with them. Then you are denying the body of Christ. You are denying Christ himself. You are being like Peter. You are happy to be in the courtyard to see what is going on, but you do not want to nurse the wounds of the body of Jesus. When we are not caring for others in the fellowship, that's what we are doing. When you have an opportunity to share Jesus with people around you, and you make yourself too busy, or too comfortable with other things, that preclude you from sharing Jesus, then you are guilty of denying Jesus. Because is that not being like Peter? When we make ourselves run around the courtyard of the world, busy with everything else, except having time to speak to others about Jesus, except having time to disciple someone, is that not rejecting the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus in the same way that Peter does? Peter has an opportunity here to witness to the seven girl, and he doesn't. He decides to busy himself with the fire. He decides... To sit by the gateway. And I'm afraid many of us are as guilty as Peter is here. All of us are guilty of denying Jesus in so many ways. Passively and of course as I said, every sin we commit is a denial of Jesus. See there's no point of us denying our denial of Jesus. The truth is that we are all like Peter. And the truth of the matter is that we are worse than we think. Peter thought he was alright, but he discovered, no, he was much worse than he realized. So there's no need for us to deny that. We do not have to deny that because in Jesus we have a Savior who has accepted us up front. He has already cleansed our sins by his blood if we are trusting in him. Jesus will never deny us. So why hide our sin? Oh, let us take our sin to Jesus. Let us confess areas in our lives where we are passively denying Jesus. And let us ask Jesus to forgive us of those 
passive or micro denials of Jesus. Let us confess our sins to him. Let us truly repent of denying Christ. Finally, this passage also encourages us to grow in trusting in the commitment of Jesus to us by putting our trust in his word rather than ourselves. That's the final practical direction we take from here. Let us grow in trusting in the commitment of Jesus to us by putting our trust in his living word, the scriptures, rather than ourselves. You know, Peter could have saved himself a lot of attack if he had simply listened carefully and responded to what Jesus said on the Mount of Olives. Jesus warned him, didn't he? He warned him, he says, truly I tell you this very night, before the cross twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter rejected that. You see, the word of Jesus was the grace of God which was intended to encourage Peter to, what Peter should have done is turn to Jesus, ask for help. He said, Jesus, you say I'm going to sink. How can I keep my head up as it were? How can I stay afloat? How can I ensure that I remain trusting in you? But Peter didn't do that. Rather than ask for help, Peter put confidence in his experience. Instead of listening to Jesus, Peter looked at how well he had done in the past. He looked at how well he had performed relative to Simon the Zealot, relative to John. He remembered perhaps how he was the only one who walked on water. He thought about perhaps how he went to that mountain of transfiguration and saw the transfigured Christ and how it was his idea to build those hearts, to to, to try and build the hearts for Jesus, right? He he thought about Moses and Elijah and and he perhaps got excited. He says, look, I've been closer to the patriarchs than these guys. He remembered his confession of Christ. And all of these experiences of Peter seems to have clouded his view that when Jesus says to him, listen to my word, Peter says, no, I know better than Jesus. I've got this thing figured out. I don't need the Bible. I don't need the word of God. I have my experiences in life. And you see, many of us are just like that. We believe that we can do whatever we put our minds to it. Whatever we we put our minds to it, we can accomplish it. Peter was strong-willed, self-confident, go-getter, right? But in the end, listen to me, beloved, in the end, Peter found out you cannot improve on the word of God. You cannot improve on the word of God. You cannot improve on the word of Jesus. They are perfect and they are true. And Peter should have trusted the word of Jesus. He should have recognized that walking with Jesus means trusting in Jesus to care for us as he has set out in his word. Not trusting ourselves. But Peter didn't. And many of us 
don't trust the word of God enough. You see, one of the reasons many of us never spend time to read the word of God is that we think it is a waste of time compared to doing things our way. You know, if I think that my eyesight is okay, I don't need to wear glasses. But as you know, I wear glasses because I know without them, I cannot see life very well. Well, the Bible is our spiritual glasses. It is the word of Jesus that is meant to help us see life clearly and live in a way that glorifies God and brings blessings to us. If we're not reading the Bible and listening to Jesus, our view of life will be blinkered. And soon we'll find ourselves constantly denying Jesus. Beloved, listen to me very carefully. We are living in perilous times. Where ideology after ideology is seeking to derail us from the word of God. These are not times of reading the culture. These are times of investing your time in the word of God. If we are not reading the Bible, if the Bible is not the centerpiece of everything we do, we will soon be derailed in our lives and will bring down the churches of God with us. You see, when we stop listening to the word of God, when we allow our experiences, our feelings, our culture, our history to be the rule book that determines how we live for God, then we are being like Peter. And when we do that, we see where it ends, isn't it? It ends in tears. Because when we are not listening to the word of God, we also stop talking to God. We stop asking God to help us to see the world as it really is. We stop asking God to help us in times of temptation. It is interesting that Peter failed to listen to Jesus at the Mount of Olives, but he didn't stop there. He also failed to obey Jesus' command to pray in Gethsemane. And the reason why Peter did not pray in Gethsemane is because it's for the same reason he didn't listen to Jesus at the Mount of Olives. He didn't pray because he thought he could handle life on his own. He trusted his own flesh rather than the word of God. Brothers and sisters, today as we thank Jesus for his commitment to us, and repent of our denials of him, let us ask him to help us to know his word. Let us ask him to deepen our love, to study the scripture, to sit under preaching, to never get tired of reading of Jesus, studying Jesus. Let us ask Jesus to deepen our commitment to prayer. Let us ask Jesus, beloved, Let us ask Jesus to help us grow in trusting in his commitment to us by putting our trust, by growing our trust in his word rather than in trusting ourselves. Jesus is unwaveringly, unwaveringly, unflinchingly committed to help us. 
He has already suffered in life and died on the cross to claim us and affirm us before God. Jesus never denies us. And he stands ready to help us grow in our devotion to him. So let us go boldly to him and ask for any help we need today. Amen.